Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Allen. Dr. Allen is Professor of Systematic Theology and the Academic Dean at Reformed Theological Seminaries Orlando Campus. Uh, Dr. Allen's also the author and editor of several books, including one simply called Sanctification, which is the topic for this podcast episode. So, Dr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Glad to be with you. Well, let's start with maybe some definition. What is sanctification? The word sanctification comes from a a Latin word, so it's not immediately obvious to English speakers today. Uh, But it, it refers to being made holy would be the easiest way to put it. And if the word holy sounds a little foreign, we don't tend to use that in most of life other than when we're in a sanctuary or a holy space. We don't use it outside of religious contexts. It really just means being set apart and set apart specifically to the Lord. So being sanctified or the process of sanctification is the process of people being set apart for the Lord. And it would be fair to say then that sanctification is not a concept that's peculiar to the New Testament, uh, but something that would feature largely in the Old Testament as well? That's right. In fact, you probably can't really understand what it means in the New Testament apart from seeing how it gets unpacked in the Old Testament. So one of the texts that's often overlooked by a lot of Christian people today because it can be a little mystifying, but is absolutely crucial for understanding what it means to be holy to the Lord is Leviticus, and in particular, Leviticus 10.10. In that context, uh, it's talking about how uh, worship and priests who are going to lead in worship and all the various things uh, that are going to be involved in worship, particularly in the, the tabernacle context, how they're to be holy and made holy to the Lord. And in that verse, it talks about how they're to distinguish between the clean and the unclean, uh, the common and the holy. And and right there, you get this notion that holiness doesn't just mean not being sinful. In other words, uh, simply by avoiding doing wrong, you aren't necessarily holy. There's the second component. You're to avoid sin. You're to avoid uncleanliness. You're not to speak ill of others. You're not to go sleep around. You're not to go steal or cheat on your taxes. Uh, But you're also to go one step further. Uh, There's a distinction not just between unclean and clean, but also common and sacred. In other words, holiness actually means being devoted or turned over to God. Yeah. Is there a a layer that gets added when we're talking about specifically to the individual Christian life? Yeah, what we see is uh, that in the Old Testament, it's very clear God wants his people to be holy, and eventually the whole world, through his work in that people, to make the whole world holy. Um, And so the goal is very clear in the Old Testament. What becomes so much more powerful and so much more uh, clear in the New Testament is how that's going to happen, through the work of Christ and his Holy Spirit. Mm. And so it's in the New Testament that you see at the end of 1 Thessalonians, for instance, uh, this benediction prayer of Paul that God would sanctify you completely. Well, that you need to be sanctified completely is not new, but the idea and expectation that God by his spirit brings that about, that's, that's much clearer. Right. 
And that brings up a good point. Where does where does sanctification fit into uh, kind of the journey of the Christian faith? It's it's maybe helpful to think in terms of metaphors first that the Bible uses for life with God and salvation. And the two most common metaphors are marriage and adoption. Uh, that we are married to Jesus Christ. He's the, the bridegroom. We are the bride. Uh, and we are the orphan adopted into God's family in Jesus Christ. You see these across both Testaments. What's crucial in both is that in, in either marriage or adoption, there is on the front end a legal act that makes you a person with a new status and a new family tie. Uh, so there's a wedding ceremony. It varies in cultures, but in all settings, there is a declarative act where you are betrothed to your spouse. Uh, It varies in different times and places what exactly the legality of adoption is, but there is an instance where you are thus declared a member of a family with the rights of a child. Uh, And in salvation, we experience that in what we call justification, where at our conversion, we are declared right. We are Uh, clothed with Jesus Christ, where we are adopted into the divine family, we're united to Christ in that uh, sacred marriage. But in both metaphors, there's also an ongoing reality. Uh, No married couple is completely in sync with each other, knows each other fully, knows how to care for each other on their wedding day. There's a a lifelong journey of being transformed and growing. an orphan is adopted in to a family, but they only slowly take on the family traits and learn to do life as a member of that family, even though the rights and the privileges of the family are theirs from the beginning. And sanctification is that ongoing process of being changed uh, such that we, we conform to the image of God in Christ, so that we take on the characteristics of our Heavenly Father in as much as human creatures can. So would it be fair when we're talking about sanctification to say we uh, have been declared something and sanctification is the process where that becomes more and more true of us? We've been declared righteous and sanctification is us becoming more and more righteous. We've been declared children of God and now we act in keeping with our status as children of God and joint heirs with Christ. Is that a fair characteristic? That's right, and it answers to the way we oftentimes speak of sin on the negative side, that sin has both a penalty uh, that hangs over us, and sin is also a power that leads us awry from the inside out because we're sinners. And in justification, the the penalty of sin has been addressed. It's guilt. Uh, In sanctification, the power of sin is being addressed, uh, that we are no longer living as children of the flesh, but as children of the Spirit. Right. And so, yeah, we have that kind of that uh, dynamic of not being, um, like you said, under the penalty of sin, but we are not free from the influence of sin in this life. And then sanctification is a process by which we gain increasing victory over sin in our lives. It may not feel like it's Mm, an obvious movement from victory to greater victory. Uh, Martin Luther, who understood the triumphant work of Christ as much as anyone else, would point out as he grew in his Christian life uh, that he grew in the way in which 
he saw himself to be a sinner. He sure. didn't mean by that that he was sinning more or even that he was sinning the same amount. Now, part of growing in your understanding of and love for Jesus Christ, part of growing in conformity to Christ is increasingly being repulsed by the places where you haven't yet grown. And so as you come to know music or art or beautiful literature better, uh, when you experience duds and imposters, yeah. they they repulse you. Uh, sure. On the other hand, if you don't know good music, as I frankly am not a musician, I'm not offended by bad music in the same way that my professional musician friends are, right? Right. Same thing with holiness. As we actually grow in holiness, we lament uh, all the ways in which we haven't yet arrived. Sure. And so there is progress, but it it involves actually this uh, this hastening the the growth the Lord promises, and yet having to wait patiently for deliverance, as Paul describes in Romans eight. Wow. Yeah. So if justification, if our salvation is one bookend that starts our journey of sanctification, what's the other bookend? How does this kind of fit into the different concepts that we see in Scripture? Yeah, it's helpful to think of of maybe the front and the back end of the process of sanctification. Justification is the, the ground or the entryway of the gospel. You don't get anywhere apart from that. On the other hand, most people don't get exactly delighted in and and completely absorbed in the door to their house. You don't enjoy the house apart from yeah. the door, but the door's not the point. Uh, the point of the gospel and of the Christian life is that you're going to experience the presence of God and you're going to be transformed by being in that right. presence. And so the Bible will use a couple words to describe that, and the Christian tradition has developed these. Uh, glory is what we're made for, the glory of God that God shares with us. And we speak of the process of glorification, that we behold the glory of the Lord revealed in Jesus Christ, and eventually when we even see him face to face at his return, we will see that glory in such a way that it transforms us completely, uh, and we are finally and fully perfected. In this life, sanctification is like the first fruits of that. Right. We're gradually starting to experience not just uh, the drawing back of sin, but also the bringing forward of glory, of the Mm. presence of God. Sanctification is the beginnings of that final experience of glorification that will only fully be ours at the return of Christ. Now, what is the Holy Spirit's role in our sanctification. It seems that there's going to be a tension between our own effort and then reliance on the Spirit. So could you speak to that a little bit in terms of sanctification? Yeah. I mean, the first thing we've got to say is sanctification is something that involves duty, but it is not first and foremost duty. Uh, It is first and foremost a gift of God. It's a part of the gospel. It's it's what John Calvin would call part of the the double grace of Jesus Christ, that he's not only our forgiveness, but he's also the one who renews us. He's not only our justification, he's our sanctification. And and in sanctification, God gives us holiness. God gives us this uh, change and transformation by his word and by his spirit working together. And so we have Jesus Christ speaking through his prophetic and apostolic text of Holy Scripture, calling us in to holiness. But as anyone knows, it's it's not enough simply to encounter or to be encountered by the words of Christ. We can hear them, 
and not respond appropriately unless we have the indwelling spirit who's going to work to make them effective, uh, who's going to work upon our hearts, who's going to uh, lead us away from self-reliance, who's going to lead us away from stubbornness. Ultimately, if we're honest, who's going to lead us away from idolatry. Sure. Uh, and going to open us up to receive guidance and direction and challenge and discipline uh, and ultimately trust and reliance on Jesus that, that he is going to be enough and he's going to be satisfying. And so the spirit has to work within the human heart to change our minds, to change our affections, to change our, our passions, to change our desires uh, to change our habits and practices, even our relationships as we're, we're brought into the, the body of Christ, the new community or the people of God. And, and so apart from that, uh, we're we're going to be like those who seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear. But the Spirit is, is the Lord and life giver, as we confess in the Creed. The Spirit is one who uh, actually was able to bring life out of non-existence and can thus bring uh, newness and holiness out of what was sinful and dark. So it sounds like, I mean, if we're talking and we're, we're picturing in our mind a narrow road, it sounds to me as though one ditch that we need to avoid falling into is this concept, I need to just do, I just need to work, I need to check these boxes, I'm going to, you know, take the bull by the horns and I'm going to get sanctified here. Uh, is Is there another ditch on the opposite side of the road which just says, I'm just going to sit back, relax, and let the Holy Spirit sanctify me with minimal or no effort on my part? Yeah, we tend to think of God in what we'd call a competitive fashion. Sure. And if God graces me with it, well then, hey, that's great, and I don't have to do anything. But the Bible presents God as one who doesn't act in such a way that we simply sit, who competes for action and agency with us. Rather, God acts. God gives grace. The Holy Spirit is at work in us to will and to do, and that actually enlivens us, as we read in Philippians 2. That actually prompts and motivates and energizes our activity. Uh, You know, we see this in other areas. We confess that Moses and Matthew and a host of others wrote what we now know as books of the Bible, and yet it's the Word of God. And and we confess, as the Bible teaches us, it wasn't just Moses. The Holy Spirit said this. But that doesn't mean Moses wrote less. No, the Holy Spirit energized and directed Moses to write that, or Matthew, or Paul, and so forth. In our own lives, and in our own small, meager ways, the Spirit is at work, the Spirit's energizing and transforming, and that doesn't leave us lackadaisical, That leads us to love our neighbor, to worship God, to evangelize the nations, to pray for good things from our Heavenly Father, to be very active. And so grace and duty, grace and effort, they're not contrary. They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, Grace is contrary to self-reliance. Grace is contrary to autonomy or believing we can do it and need to do it on our own. But it's not at all contrary to a a trustful, faithful, energetic sort of Christian lifestyle. If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching— 
articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. What are some practical ways then that a believer can be proactive in their sanctification? What are some of those means that God has given us to be proactive, to be obedient in that? Yeah, I mean, it's crucial to note that as you read your Bible, God can work in all sorts of ways. You read early in the Bible, God can speak to somebody through a donkey. Uh, But just because God is free to do that and quite capable of doing that at times, that doesn't mean we're wise and prudent to expect God to do that. Sure. And so as we read the Bible, we see there are certain rhythms and practices. There are certain means of grace or ordinary means of grace. And we're wise to focus our efforts there. The ministry of his word, both the reading of it, the preaching of it, the meditation upon it. Uh, In the ministry of prayer, both personally and corporately, especially as we pray for God uh, to, to bring his kingdom come and his will to be done on earth as in heaven. Uh, and then the ministry of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, that those are meant to be uh, means by which God's grace is going to sustain and strengthen and then send out Christians for lives of uh, obedient faith. And, and so there, there are other great practices, keeping Sabbath, um, the, the joys of Christian fellowship, Uh, you know, things such as tithing and fasting and so forth. And of course, and especially the the word, prayer, and the sacraments, uh, these are the basic rhythms of the Christian diet. Yeah. What are ways we can kind of monitor our progress in this sanctification that we're in? There are a lot of different things we could say. Let me just point out two, and both are related to different books of the Bible. The first would be to look at 1 John. The gospel according to John is written, we read in chapter 20, so that uh, you might believe that Jesus is the Lord and have life. First John is the next step. It's written so that you might know this, that you have life. In other words, it's all about assurance. And what you can see there in reading in First John is that there are a number of different ways you can be assured that God has saved you and that God is at work in you. You can see first in the first chapter that you know and confess what's true of Jesus Christ, uh, that he's come in the flesh, that he's God incarnate, that he's the redeemer of not just the world, but of you. There are also ways in which you can know by observing the growth of love, particularly love of neighbor, uh, and your love, secondly, of of the community, that is the, the Christian congregation, the body of Christ, Uh, That moral and that communal uh, rubric can be used. Am I growing more and more loving of others in various ways? Am I being enfolded ever more deeply into the life of of the Christian community? Sure. Um, Those are great challenges as we think back. A second book of the Bible that's really helpful as well, uh, and that I'd encourage everybody to just live with constantly, is the book of the Psalms. And, and Psalms is crucial precisely because oftentimes as we look back and we doubt maybe or we wonder if, if we're being sanctified, we oftentimes do that because something in life stinks or sure. I stink. I'm struggling with something. Things are going wrong. 
It's not the way I would have imagined salvation to play out. And what we can do is we can find the Psalms gives, give us language for all those situations. And we can find that as we're able to own the language of the Psalms, both joyful acclamation when, when I am growing and when things are going well and when people are being saved around me, and then when I'm able to lament and to really express with David and the, the other writers of the Psalms the, the, the kind of struggle at hard things without and within, those are signs that, like sure. David, I'm increasingly becoming someone um, who's a man after God's own heart. Right. Uh, and so if, if I find that I can actually take up the words of the Psalms increasingly, that's a good sign that, that God is at work in my heart. And of course, as I do that, I'll find there are places where I really chafe at what the Psalms ask me to say to God. They, mm. they aren't always the, the first thing I'd want to say unto God. And that's a good challenge and a prompt. Right. That's, that's a direct way God will, will seek to grow me yeah. by His Spirit. Yeah. And part of what you mentioned, too, kind of loops back around to when you had mentioned, you know, that aspect from what Luther had said of this growing distaste for sin. Uh, and so you might find that as you grow spiritually, you are much more conscious, much more, as you said, repulsed by your sin, which is actually a very good place to be, as opposed to either ignorant, tolerant, or, or whatever else the case might be. As you have this growth in grace um, to become uh, increasingly prejudiced against the sin in your own life and to want it gone. Yeah, and, and reprioritization sure. of fighting sin, of evangelizing, of uh, trying to submit my will to that of, of Jesus. Uh, those are things that are going to increasingly mark the life of the sanctified person. Any resources that come to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, I can mention two short books that are really accessible, and then one if there's anyone slightly adventurous. Uh, the two short ones that are fabulous places to start are a little book by John Calvin that's quite literally called A Little Book on the Christian Life. Sure. And if, if folks would read one thing, that would be it. It's his discussion of sanctification. Uh, it's, it's a tiny little book, 70 or 80 pages. It's just beautiful and life-changing. A second short book that's much more recent is a volume by Sinclair Ferguson, and it's called Devoted to God. And it is a great entryway to thinking about sanctification uh, that I'd highly recommend. If folks are interested in a book that's not a hard read, it's just 300 pages instead of 80. Sure, yeah. Um, it's a book uh, written by someone named Edward Fisher, and it's called The Marrow of Modern Divinity, which is an off-putting title, but it's actually a conversation between several characters uh, about the Christian life and about sanctification. And through these characters, you hear the voice of a legalist Pharisee. You hear okay. the voice of another one who's an antinomian. That is someone who doesn't think you ought to keep the law. And then someone who speaks on behalf of the gospel. It's a great way of kind of capturing these different perspectives we struggle with and pointing us to Bible texts that address each of them. Excellent. Well, we'll be sure to link to each of those recommended books. Our guest today has been Dr. Michael Allen, Professor of Systematic Theology at RTS in Orlando. So be sure to check out the show notes at reasonabletheology.org slash episode three, where you can dig more deeply into this topic and find the resources we mentioned during this episode. Dr. Allen, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.